0: Welcome to the Cabin Cast. Your getaway primer.
1: Hey, Eric.
2: Hey, Kristen.
1: We had such a great interview tonight.
2: This one is uh like a bucket list one.
1: Yep. Dale Mulfinger has been on our list when we when Eric and I first started Before there was a list. Before there was a list, yeah. <laughs> Cause we both uh, really liked his books um, before we even started dreaming of the podcast. But when we started planning the podcast and we started making our dream interview list, he was one of our top people and we got to talk to him today.
2: Yeah. So So Dale is the author of a whole bunch of books. We'll read, read the introduction when he comes on and kind of talk. But the one cabinology is just a, a favorite of ours. It's, it's, as he describes it in the interview, and it's such a rich, deep interview, he, he talks about putting his heart and soul into it. And he is a renowned cabin architect from the Midwest and from Minnesota, and he has done tons of super amazing projects for his architecture firm, it's incredibly creative, and he talks in detail about the way he thinks about projects and properties. And it it's such an inspiring interview. It was everything we hoped for, and really excited to share it with you the cabin cast is brought to you by roughing it in style on the cabin cast we talk a lot about making memories but what makes a home or getaway more likely to create those cherished times the interiors team at roughing it in style is here to help you find that perfect memory making balance in your home the balance between gathering and privacy form and function relaxation and entertaining we have two showrooms stocked with furniture, decor, and lighting. Our up north store is in Harshaw, Wisconsin, 10 miles south of Minakwa. And our out west store sits on the doorstep of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. Find out more and plan your visit today at roughingitinstyle.com. Yeah,
1: this when I was doing research before um, the interview, I found that the Star Tribune said that Dale was the people's architect, mentor to many, and father of residential architecture. So um, we're going to give links to all the ways that you can read more about him, get, find his books, look at his projects. Um, this is an interview that after you listen to it, you're gonna, you're going to jump online right away and want to see more and learn more about what he does. And Eric and I thought a great intro into this. Um, We didn't need to talk much in our cabin chat because there's so much in the interview, but that we would read the introduction from his cabinology book and then let him speak for himself. So here we go.
2: Cabins can exist for us in two ways. They're places we visit in person every time we get the chance. And for some of us, they're places we visit only in spirit where we mentally take ourselves during a boring business meeting or whenever the modern world seems too encroaching. Transcending the cabin in your mind to the reality of your own very real cabin plopped down on your own little slice of heaven is what cabinology is all about. The book of all things cabin will help you mold your dreams into the reality of that glowing fireplace, that pre-dawn aroma of freshly brewed coffee, and to the pitter-patter of your loved one just rousing overhead in the loft.
1: It's not that you simply want a cabin. You need a cabin to bring some balance into your life to recharge those run-down batteries, to cleanse the soul, to reconnect to nature. Your cabin is a realm of tranquility where sleeping in is not just reserved for Sunday morning and where a good book and an Adirondack chair are an afternoon's marriage. Cabins contrast the vast world outside with the intimate world within. Unlike in our suburban world, the world of the cabin is a place where modesty and charm outweigh size and grandeur while simplicity and flexibility outshine the sophisticated and complicated. We go to the cabin to get away from phones, television, computers, and other symbols of our interconnected world. At the cabin, we will have time to complete a jigsaw puzzle with Aunt Betty or spend a slow yet memorable afternoon fishing with Uncle Bob. Privacy will go out the same window that a fresh summer breeze comes in. The larder will have to store the essential ingredients for s'mores, and you can leave that recipe for Chateaubriand, back in the city. And here's Dale. Dale Mulfinger was born and raised on a dairy farm in Minnesota, and the rural landscape and vernacular architecture have informed his many designs. After graduating from the University of Minnesota, he worked nationally and internationally before becoming a founding partner in 1983 of what is now Sala Architects Inc. He is a fellow of the American Institute of Architecture and author of six books, including Cabinology, a Handbook to your private hideaway and the cabin. He has authored over a hundred articles in regional and national magazines, and his sustaining research on cabins has earned him the title Cabinologist. Welcome, Dale.
0: Well, it's great to be on your program.
1: Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Um, Eric was just saying that he received your book, Cabinology, as a wedding gift with his wife, and it's been sitting on my coffee table for years, too. So you have been one of the top people on our list we've wanted to talk to on the Cabin Cast. So thank you for being here.
0: Well, you have a fun subject to take on.
1: Right? I know. (laughs) And then we can't wait to learn from you, too. So can you just start out by telling us what in your past brought you to what you do now?
0: Um, well, it starts probably by being an architect and doing varying kinds of work, and gradually over the early years of my career, going from being doing really big urban design projects uh, to gradually doing things smaller and smaller until I eventually start doing houses and just super enjoyed houses and thus. The start of our firm, uh, which began as Mulfinger and Susanka Architects. So, my partner Sarah Susanka um, joined, and we immediately started designing houses. But we also started um, exploring with the public: uh, what are some of the questions that we should think about when we design a house? And our interest in communicating with the public led us very swiftly into more and more work. So as a young firm, we grew rapidly. And as we grew, we needed more needed more staff. And we were doing small projects, so we couldn't be hierarchical with our staff. We really needed them to very quick to kind of clone ourselves very quickly right. uh, into creating more partners and more people who would design. And then over over time, <clears throat> once one starts designing houses, there's somebody asked, uh, especially in, in working out of the Twin Cities, somebody then asked us to do a cabin. And growing up in a farm where, you, especially a dairy farm where you work, you're on call 365 days a a year, twice a day to milk the cows. Uh, cabin ownership wasn't in my family tradition. And so I really had to learn something about what our cabin's all about and why it makes a cabin different from a house. And since I was by then also teaching at the university as an adjunct, I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to research that question with some students in the summertime. And we went out into cabin land in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and I told my students, go out and look for the quintessential cabin. What makes, if you see 10 cabins, why might one cabin appear more cabin-like than another? And what is that attribute? And so when you get some bright young people, uh, like the students that show up at universities, uh, out doing that work with you, uh, you know, you'll learn a few things along the way. So, um, and kind of as a result of that, Um, later on, I was, uh, interviewed by a radio reporter and, uh, he heard that I was doing research with my students on cabins. And so he introduced this word cabinology saying, well, you must be a cabinologist. (laughs) And I have, I have accepted that monitor and assumed from him that I got my instantaneous PhD.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, and I think a lot of our listeners will be surprised that they may already know you, even if they don't know it, because, you know, I'm big searching for ideas on Pinterest. And so many of the cabins that I have pinned over the years are ones from your firm. There are so many really popular, beautiful cabins on there. So they're going to be like, oh, that's one of his. Oh, that's one of his so you you just have a really wide variety of beautiful cabins that you've designed, so we're excited to hear more about that.
0: And I think I've been helped by having a diverse set of colleagues that we don't just do one theme or one idea. Um, we do many different ideas collectively and and that broadens our work base uh, you know across the culture.
2: So can you talk a little bit about what it's like working with an architectural firm? A lot of people. Might just find a blueprint, right, or buy a cabin that's already there. And what what does bringing in architect do? They come to you with a bunch of ideas and a bunch of pictures, or is it more just a description? And you guys just do options. How how does working with an architectural firm on like a sure. retreat or a cabin work? What what do you work off of?
0: Well, the big difference between us and the cabin you might find in the pages of a magazine and buy the plans for. Is that we're the tailors of the industry. So much like tailoring a dress or a suit, we do something specific to a situation that is defined by a place, site, unique condition of site, whether it's in the Rocky Mountains or on a on lake in Wisconsin, Um, and then unique people who come to every project with a history of what they think a cabin might be or what they've experienced about a cabin in the past, and then everybody has a budget, and of course they can never quite get all that they want. Uh, that seems to be pretty common, uh, but uh, we can go get a long ways towards making them uh, giving them a very specific and tailor-made design uh, that that fits those conditions. So uh, I think I think those are the, the operable upper you know, phenomena of what it's like working with an architect. Um, I think the other part is we create a process that engages people through the process. So it isn't like we go off into some magic land and through our pencil or our computer, we wave a wand and come up with this sort of brilliant, unique, phenomenal thing. But rather, it's a process where we explore ideas with our owners and they weigh in early on and say, "Well, I like a little of that, and I don't like that so much." And did you ever think of this? And so it's a process of um, of bringing something to life that is, you know, comes from our ingenuity, but it also comes from from their interests and, and their proclivities as well.
1: Yeah, that's great. And have you seen a lot of changes since you started working with people and designing their cabins? Uh, what people were looking for then and then what they look for now?
0: Uh, Some, you know, some people are, are people starting maybe 20 years ago or so really started to think about retiring to the lake. And that pretty much dramatically changes the way they might want, they might think of a structure. So when they're in retirement and going to be staying there full time for maybe seven, eight months out of the year, they start to think of it more like their home in the, in the city or suburb or wherever they're coming from. And they're more likely to have an attached garage or a, a master bedroom suite and stuff like that. So some of that starts to creep in uh, to, to cabin design. I think cabins have grown larger over time. Um, land is more expensive, so you're not going to put a $0.10 cent building on a $500,000 piece of property. Right. Right. Um, and, and so the, the, and all of those things have had an impact. And I would say the other thing that's impacting this is you have a very smart clientele. I mean, the Midwest, where which is where we predominantly work, we have a pretty well-educated public, particularly those who seek out architecture. And so they come to us with knowledge and history, and they've been to cabins, and, and um, they remember things. And uh, so... So they they bring all that uh, to the notion of what a cabin could or should be, right? And then I, I think another thing that probably changes us somewhat is materials. You know, we're we're not necessarily building as much with logs as we might have once, um, and uh, there are new materials all the time that suggest different ways of constructing something.
2: It's such a collaboration with an. It sounds like with an architect, where you know, if you're a Painter or an as you are an author, it's it's a little more of a solitary project. But you really have to learn your clientele well, right, and and work off of them. And it's such a collaboration. There, there,
0: yeah, the way we do it, the way we like to do it, it's a very collaborative process. There are certainly architects who are less collaborative, and they are you might say phenomenal artists in what they do. Uh, but I think we what we I love. I often say I love. To be taken by clients where I've never gone before, yeah. And and I th- and clients do that. They they say, "Well, I saw something in Albuquerque." Like Albuquerque, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's that got to do with northern Minnesota? But uh, you know, they, they they are fascinating people. So it's um, it's fun to to um, to work with them.
1: Do you have a favorite cabin that you've ever designed, or is that too hard
2: yes. to name? Yes. Oh, you yes. do! Yay!
0: No, definitely. Yeah, uh, it's the next one.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh that's a great answer i love that
0: um what ah, to- i i i've had the good fortune of doing a lot of fun projects so it's it's you know it's sort of like seeing which is your best child you know your, your <laughs> right? style yeah you know I, I i i some i definitely feel more akin to than others mm-hmm. but yeah it's there's a lot of them and coming in all, new ones all the time so it's it's a, it's a fun process and it's fun to, to explore what one's imagination can come up with.
1: Did that make it hard to design your own cabin? I think I saw that you have your own cabin on your
0: uh, website. Well, uh, probably the bigger, one of the bigger challenges with my cabin is, is that I did the cabin with my wife <laughs> and my uh, professor friend, uh, professor of architecture, who is a scholar and a critic. And he, 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 you know, it was going to be difficult to do the project with him. So so according to all, all my friends who know him as a scholar, you know, he's a critic. Uh, but that made it challenging, but it, I created a process and it worked out well. And and, uh, and he very much jumped into designing. And so uh, I love, you know, I love being at our cabin. And he does too. They do too, he and his wife. So we share it. And um, it's when you have a cabin that's essentially four hours away, it's nice to be able to share it with somebody else, right, so
2: when you're looking at a piece of land and you show up and if it's just a, a raw piece of land, and what I notice yeah. about a lot of the projects that you guys do at your firm it they seem to like stand out in the landscape, but blend in with the back like it fits like it it feels like it's part of the landscape already how is that just from years of working on land or when you look at a piece of property? And envision a house that goes on there. How do you create something that makes an impact but still fits with the landscape?
0: I don't think we we commonly come to a a piece of land with a preconceived idea of what the cabin should be, but rather the land talks to us. Uh, I think that one of the experiences I like most about my craft or what I do is standing out on that raw piece of land that's brand new to me and. And I've already heard from an owner what their goals are. You know, they want something elaborate or small or, you know, it has this feature or that feature. So i know something about it. And then I try and imagine it on that piece of land that's unique. I mean, I've just been through a couple of properties in the past few weeks that are just incredibly unique. Not not difficult necessarily, but unique. They, you know, One of them in my mind very much wants a very vertical cabin because it doesn't its land does not speak of horizontality. So I think I think we architects are very much trained in drawing something from the landscape that we work with. I think there's some ideas there that Frank Lloyd Wright gave us about merging with the land in a unique way. And you know historically say when a settler built a house, they plopped it onto the land, uh, and and they own the land in a in a sense. And their their structures seem more about what cultural baggage they had to put into this place rather than coming from the land. Whereas I think we as architects are really trained to draw from the land something unique, some condition um, that that makes our the places we design special.
2: Yeah, the the one that comes to mind, looking at your projects, is the Colstead Keep at Kennedy Creek that you designed.
0: Yeah, it, it's just it's oh, that fit, that, it that, that so well. one. It was the second cabin I did for the same couple. Uh, I had first done one halfway up the Gunflint Trail, and it just was a long haul for them to get to it when they had a few days of respite from their professorships, and um, and they decided they wanted to find some property closer to them. So it was a a three-and-a-half-hour drive instead of a a six-and-a-half-hour drive and found that piece of land. And the first time I walked on that piece of land, it was intimidating. Like, oh, my gosh, am I good enough for this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Am I I up to this? And where does it it go? I mean, there are a lot of different possibilities as to where that could go. And And depending upon where it went, it changed how it might look. But they very quickly weighed in on, well, in thinking that it should go over there. And that was one of the options I concurred with. And so then it was a question of the shape. And I think that's a rugged landscape. And I think we you know, wanted a kind of a rugged form, um, not that seemed to fit that landscape in a way. So, yeah, it was a fun project, a really great client and a superb builder. So, that, the, the, the other thing that you need in creating beautiful work, is you need a really good builder. And I think we've worked long enough uh, throughout the, the region that we know a lot of really great builders to, to be able to bring our ideas to fruition.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That is so true.
0: And the, and the, the Midwest is blessed by a really great building community. I and mean, there are just are a lot of craftspeople out there. And, and there are a lot of people out there who whose craft has never been truly harnessed. And they just love it when you say, well, couldn't you build in a nice little bench seat over here with this and this? And they, really? I could do that. That's true. <laughs> You're let me do that. <laughs>
1: yeah, you help bring yeah, it out. And- of them. That's the teacher in you, the professor in you, too, I think, you know, seeing what oh, I hope people so. bring bringing yeah. it out of them. We'll give all of our listeners, too, in the show notes, we'll give links to uh, if we talk about a website or um, work Super. that you've done. Yeah. We'll That'd link to that. I see one that says Argentina. Have you done work like um, most of it? You said was in the Midwest, but
0: I did one project in Argentina. Done a little bit of work in in France and Nova Scotia. Uh, That's those are probably my only international work. And the Argentinian work had to do with the fact that this couple who had lived for a while in the U.S. really felt that they wanted a U.S. architect. And they happened to find our firm through the writings of Sarah Susanka. And this phone call came in, would anybody be willing to go to Argentina? And my my arm shot up so (laughs) fast. And it was a fun, fun project to do. And I keep in contact with uh, Joaquin and Sylvia uh, down there. So it it was fun to, uh, we worked with a local architect because we're not smart enough to know all of the different ways you'd build in Argentina that are, right. are unique to that culture compared to ours and uh, this was a, a fun architect and he had a great family uh, that was they, they were fun to be around
1: did you have to go down there for an extended period of time or just go back I and did. forth yeah
0: uh, no I, I went down there twice okay and um, uh, not for great lengths of time but but for long enough to you know, get some experience for how do, how do people build here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and one has to learn that where everyone goes. How do they build differently in Nova Scotia? You know, what's it like working on a metric system? Right. And having to, you know, we had, I had to bring in a South American architect who happened to be in Minnesota uh, to help me with the language. You know, I've got to write things in, in Spanish. So, it, yeah, it was challenging. But uh, one of the one of the interesting things about architecture is it's a, international language i mean form is form and space is space and it's not you know yes you have some nuance for having to do metric and having to write in spanish but that's pretty easily transferable through someone
2: so diving back into cabins and and just your books in general Cabins are such like a private thing. I mean, it's on the cover of cabinology, your private hideaway, but it's also something that you share with guests and you want to bring people to. So can you share a bit about the balance between creating a private getaway and making it your own, but also making it accessible for guests to visit and enjoy?
0: Well, I think it's a private getaway. It probably creates some peculiarity about who that couple is or that family is that makes it unique. I did a, a cabin on Madeline Island for an extended family. And they wanted a family bathroom that has a, a main room of a bunch of sinks and off of it little rooms for the stool or another room for the shower, another room for another sh- stool another the shower. Now, there's a highly unique situation. Not everybody would want that, but that made it unique. And it also made it interesting what, for people to – come and visit. So that happens to be a cabinet that now gets rented. And I hear from a lot of people uh, who have rented it and enjoyed it, even picked up a client in Colorado due to the fact that they'd rented this place on Madeline wow. Island. But I think making things unique makes it more enjoyable for the guests to be there because they're, they're not experiencing a normal or average motel down the road. They're experiencing something about the people who live there. And the other thing about cabins is different from homes, most houses are created with a pretty keen eye on resale, and, and that has a certain, you know, it tends to suggest the designs in certain ways, certain colors, and so forth, and a little less personality to the individual, whereas a cabin is considered typically a legacy project. You're not just building it for yourself, you're building it for your children, and the generation beyond that, your grandchildren, you're hoping or assuming that it might be in the family for a long time. And that uh, allows a lot more personality to be put in it.
1: Are there other things that you can think of off the top of your head that were really unique in things you've designed for families?
0: Well, I'm a big believer in that cabins are about bringing people together, bonding your relationship with your family and friends. So the examples of that would be you don't need a big bedroom because nobody's going to hang out in their bedroom like they would in their house. Uh, they're just going to get out of their bedroom and go hang out in the, in the social space and usually around food. And I think you accept you accept some loss of privacy in the cabin that you wouldn't in your house. So you're more likely to accept the fact that you can hear Uncle Hank snoring or you can <laughs> smell the coffee perk percolating in the morning. right? Uh, and those are those experiences are memorable, enjoyable to you. They're not a negative. And they're part of what makes cabining so different from uh, staying over at, at somebody's house in the city.
1: That is true. We hear that from so many of our, our followers and our guests. It's those little noises that they hear in the creeks and the Piano playing. Well, and, the, the
0: whole the whole notion of the love of a loft. Everybody loves a loft in a cabin. Mm-hmm. And I know when we created a loft in our cabin, I was very fearful that my grandkids were were not going to be able to fall asleep because they'd hear us talking right below it. Well, it turns out it's the other way around. The fact that they can hear people murmuring and talking below, they they fall asleep faster because they feel safe and, you know, it just has a nice sound to them, apparently. Yeah, that's so So, true. So, Yeah, it's it's memorable, I think, to be able to bond with people in, in the unique ways that cabins offer.
1: Hey, it's Kristen. I'm here to tell you about White Arrow's Home. White Arrow's Home is a lifestyle brand that shares a warm and cozy mix of design ideas, inspirational style, and personal journeys from the backdrop of the Wisconsin Northwoods and my lakeside log cabin home. I love sharing daily inspiration for you on my blog, through social media, and in my shop. At White Arrows Home, you can shop in person in the store, but also online from anywhere. You'll find a mix of antique, vintage, and new furniture, accessories, and gifts carefully curated to fit our brand of classy cabin and cottage decor, campy style, and always a heavy sprinkling of plaids. New products come in the shop daily with decor that will let you bring Northwoods living into your own home. And style spaces that are inviting, beautiful, and make family and friends want to linger longer.
2: Do you? Do you guys design the outdoor space and, and usefulness of the outdoor space as well? Somewhat. Do, you do
0: yeah, somewhat. Yeah, we design you know the terraces and or porches and decks and stuff like that. We don't necessarily go. Say all the way to the water, or something, uh, but uh, we do a fair amount of yeah, exterior stuff as well.
2: And you mentioned the materials a little bit earlier. It, can you talk a little bit about some of the improvements and in, in fun materials? Because that's the other thing when we will share a bunch of your your homes. Sure. Look at the lines and look at the materials that you guys do, and what it's it's so it's so much more interesting.
0: Sure. So much. So many cabins historically were done with wood, and wood is can be considered a bit of a high-maintenance material because, it's you know, you need to stain it or paint it or do something with it to kind of keep it in good shape. And everybody today doesn't want to do that. They don't want to have to be at the cabin painting. They'd rather be out fishing or playing with their grandkids. And so finding low-maintenance materials, whether they be a product called, say, SmartSide made in Hayward, Wisconsin, and also in Two Harbors, Minnesota, that's got a pre-painted surface on it, you know, that's something we use a lot in more budget conscious cabins. And then uh, some of the metals that are going to last a long time can also be used as exteriors, you know, some of the galvanized metal and so forth, if somebody's willing to, to accept a little bit more contemporary appearance. And then there are materials like ICFs, insulated concrete forms used to create uh, foundations, which are relatively new. We went from, say, concrete block foundations not that many years ago to when I first started in the industry. And then the poured wall foundations and or basements. And now most of our structures are built on these ICF forms, which are insulated styrofoam blocks with concrete inside. Which gives them a much warmer basement or crawl space, and it also is a little bit easier uh, for the contractors to to use that product than some other choices. So, so learning, you know, following up on some of these materials and knowing their attributes is critical to educating people on on you know what they can do with a cabin. The other big thing that's different in a cabin is you have a lot more choices as to how you heat a cabin. In most cabins today are going to be heated year round, not necessarily to 70 degrees, but typically they're not going to let them freeze up in the winter like they used to, because they're going to use them intermittently all seasons, And uh, that presents some challenges. So if if you're building a house in the city, you're going to be using natural gas, and I'm going to have a forced air furnace because you want air conditioning. And it's kind of a no-brainer as to how you do that. Once you get into the countryside, into rural landscapes, now you have the possibility of off-peak electric. Uh, you got LP tanks if you use gas. Um, that's then you've got geothermal. So all of those are kind of the supply side of, and wood. Of course, you can burn wood um, or wood pellets. Uh, and that, those are on the supply side of heating. And then there's distribution. How do you distribute heat? You know, through in-floor heat or through, uh, if you're doing off-peak, through Stephas units. So there's a big education swing. I spent the, <laughs> the better part of this morning going through that with a new client about what their options were. And uh, it's a kind of a high learning curve. And you have to know what are the uh, aspects of these that make them different which systems can you regulate from your iphone from back in the metropolis and which systems are going to perform better if the power goes out you know everybody would like to burn wood in some way but quite often you know they're not going to be at the cabin to burn wood when when it's 20 below necessarily and they're trying to keep the the pipes warm so, so true. um uh, and even burning wood, I mean, what, w- there are different kinds of devices. There's a, a finished tulakiti stove, which is going to burn wood and store it in, in beautiful soapstone. And then there are, of course, metal wood-burning devices that are going to quickly exit that heat to the space where you want it warm. So, uh, as I say, there's just a lot to learn on that subject alone uh, relative to uh, building it in you know, cabin land.
1: So you've authored six books— um, is there one that was more labor of love for you than another?
0: Oh, cab- cabinology. Uh, c- yeah, cabinology has got my spirit in it. Oh, it. One of the ones that I'm probably most proud of is the first one, the architecture of Edwin Lundy, because I was I felt that my professional colleagues didn't know much about his work, let alone the public, and I thought it was really important to bring that work out into the public view in a in a way. And I'd already been giving talks on his work and from that came the notion of doing a book doing a book about it. And doing a book was farthest from my mind when I when I got into architecture. I barely made it through the university because I didn't know how to write. (laughs) And you know, it's pretty hard to take a philosophy class if you don't know how to write an essay. And I finally saw I was a collector of books and I finally saw a model for it. Wow I could do a book like that, I can see where the author had brought in other authors to write things. And if you did, if you wrote about cabins that you had done research on, you could easily write two paragraphs about it. So uh, all of a sudden I thought, well, there is a process through which I could imagine myself writing something. And, and so I was very proud to bring that book out. And there's since been another book on Edwin Lundy, far superior to mine includes much, much more of his work uh, done by Peter O'Toole. And it's great that both books are out there now that educate everybody about the beauty of Edwin Lundy's structures.
1: That's one I have to get my hands on. I'm really interested in, in reading more of that one. I know Cabinology, for me, and I know Eric's probably the same way, it is the kind of book that, I mean, it would make a great gift. It should be on every coffee table. And to curl up with that book... It is so easy to read and so interesting. I mean, there are amazing quotes all throughout it. There are just wonderful little cabin stories throughout it. It is just a joy to read this book.
0: I've had really good editors with Taunton Press, uh, and that one was Steve Culpepper. And Steve really brought in a lot of those uh, little anecdotal quotes from They Weren't All Found By Me. And it, it was a fun book to do with Steve.
1: It comes through. You can tell that when you're reading it. It is that perfect one to just curl up with and, and pick up, put down, pick up, put down, and enjoy for a lifetime.
0: I thought I had book number seven in me, and I was going to call it Cabin Redo, ah. but Taunton Press shut down the division that I wrote oh, no. for, and I think it's probably a sign of the time that you know books aren't what they used to be in terms of making money for companies. So I haven't done that book number seven, but... Given all the projects that we get asked to do that are redoing old cabins, um, it, it, it would have been a fun book to get out there.
1: Well, I know from how many books I sell in my shop that people still want books and love them. So I'm going to
0: just, well, I'm
1: going to think that number seven is going to come out somehow, <laughs> somewhere. We're going to keep our all fingers right. crossed for that one.
0: All right. All right. Maybe, uh, maybe in uh A publisher will hear this. Right, they'll you know get going.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'll be one of our Mm -hmm. missions now.
2: (laughs) Okay, one thing that we talk about a lot in the decorating world—that kind of Chris and I are both in the interior decorating, where we get to dive into these cabins, these beautiful cabins afterwards. But one of the chapters of your book is called "God is in the Details," and that is such an amazing theme. Can you explain? like what that means to you and how people could maybe look at that in their own homes and understanding, because there's some places you just look at that are incredible and it's just all the details add up to this magic.
0: Yeah. I I think, I think finding details that are meaningful to you or meaningful to your place help, you know, that uh, we've done a lot with cutouts say in, in railings and we often look for well, What would the cutout in a railing be? be if it were specific to that cabin should we be featuring cattails or or in the case of my own cabin we went out and picked leaves and we designed them into the railing as if they were falling leaves and they were all different shapes and sizes because we were working with real leaves uh, when we created it so i think finding the ways that make it particular to you and your family and your location are beneficial. I, I think I say somewhere in the book, name your rooms. You know, don't call it. Don't name your bedroom after one of your children. It's not Ruby's room. It's the Pine Room or something. Something that might give it a special meaning and also add to a character. Whereas you you might you know have wrapped the room with pine log or something like that. So I, I think there are lots of ways to bring your personality or the personality of your site out uh, in a cabin when you're creating it or when you're redoing it if you're remodeling it. Uh, and then there's the the, the particular craft that's, that that can be harnessed from the people you work with, and whether that's you're working with a metal smith who's going to make a, a featured light fixture for you or something. Uh, you know, there are there are ways to bring their beauty into it as well.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Your curiosity just comes out in everything that that you talk about and that you write and in your designs. What are you still curious about?
0: People. (laughs) People are pretty fascinating uh, to be a part of, to their their experiences and their humor and their insight. They always bring something new and, and different to the situation, it seems to me. And uh, I was just meeting this Saturday with a couple up in Stone Lake, Wisconsin, who are from Madison, and the whole family was there—the two daughters and the the, the son-in-law—and it was just fun to let all these people kind of chime in as to things that they would would find important as they tear down one old cabin and build it build a new one. So, so yeah, I think it's it's the. It's the nature of, of working directly with people that makes this a fun profession.
1: You have to be a good listener and really hear what they're trying to say.
0: Yeah, you do. You do have to be, yep. So you... I, I don't take notes when I'm talking to people like that. And I, I I immediately leave the meeting and I run to a coffee shop. So I can sit down and try and see how many things I can remember. Oh,
1: that's amazing.
0: What, what I was just talking about. I should have a tape recorder going probably... But anyway, that's my way of doing it. That lets you
1: really listen then and be focused on what they're saying. So that's really interesting. You um, taught for many years too. Um, what did you love about mm-hmm. teaching and do you still teach?
0: No, I don't teach. I haven't taught for about six years now. I wanted to drop out of teaching a couple for a couple of reasons. One, I've, I'm still designing with a pencil and that's kind of old guard. <laughs> yeah. for Things you teach today. Right. But, also, I wanted to kind of go out while while the students still like me <laughs> and before before I was considered just an old codger who showed showed up every day. <laughs> and the fun part about being around students, I mean, you're getting the a and B students at a university you know came out of high schools all around the region and beyond. and they're just they're just so energetic. They just pull information out of you. You, you might think you've got a lesson plan and you get about about halfway through the class time period, you realize you've just been drained of everything you were going to talk about and you're like ad libbing it for right. the next, uh, you know, hour or two. So uh, it, it, they're just fun to be around. And I stay attuned to, I, I keep tabs on what's happened to some of these students. It's fun to see how their lives mature and what happens. They get married, have kids, and professional life takes off, whatever.
1: Yeah, that's great. Do you still, uh, well, COVID changed some things, but travel around to um, cabin events and
0: you know there haven't been much in the way of such events. I suspect they should start up again, you know, reasonably soon. So I I have been, you might say, out of that for about two years. And whether or not I'll jump back in, or you know, it might be time for younger staff than me to to uh, jump back in and start chatting with the public at these cabin shows, but. Um, it was a good run for me for the many years. I, I mostly was involved with the Lake Home and Cabin Show that was typically went to Minneapolis, uh, Chicago suburb, and then uh, Madison. Or for a while, I went to Milwaukee instead of Madison. Um, and that's definitely reaching the cabin land that connects to what, where I work. So a lot of my work is in Wisconsin, particularly north. West Wisconsin and maybe North Central. And and then, of course, a lot of it is in Minnesota and the, the lakes around Minnesota and a little bit of it in the Dakotas because there are a few lakes in the northeast corner of South Dakota. So it was interesting to be at those shows because you can then talk about ideas in a way that that might enlighten a future client so that by the time they show up at your shop and say they want a cabin, they're already well into having read cabinology or, you know, you don't have to start from scratch with them. They kind of know you a little bit by the time you, you meet with them for their project. True.
1: So what does a typical day look like for you?
0: A fair amount of communications, whether that be emails or phone communication with clients and or builders. Uh, drawing. I'll spend some time drawing on things, and then probably working with colleagues is another part of what I do. So we have a great group of people that I work with, and so usually my the cabin work that I do is the result of myself and one other colleague, and my colleagues are younger staff who are interning or beyond, and uh, they're junior architects, let's say, and. And so I've I've worked closely with them on the many projects that I'm involved in. So those are the dominant things. Maybe a little bit of research, a little bit of trying to remain educated about products, checking on the latest that, uh, you know, our window manufacturers produce or stuff like that.
1: How many cabins do you typically design in a year, you, you yourself?
0: Oh, maybe 20. Wow. Something like that over the course of a year. Yeah. Wow. And, and at any given time, you're communicating to prospective clients and you're finishing up construction on projects you designed a year ago. So, you know, you might be keeping tabs on 30 different clients' uh, situations. And, and you know, some projects that we started to design, they go on hold for a while. There have been some really, as you possibly know, there have been some really hefty raises in the um cost of construction, particularly lumber, starting to come down now, but it had gone up dramatically and that shut some projects down uh, because all of a sudden their cabin was outside of the reach of their budget. Right. Uh, But a few of those are now coming back to life as as either their budget increased or uh, they're hoping that these uh, lower uh, construction costs um, will help them out.
2: True. So the one thing that we ask all our guests is... What does your best cabin day look like for you from when you wake up in the morning until you go to sleep at night when you're at your place with family or by yourself? What what is a a perfect cabin day look like for you?
0: Oh, you're talking about my actually being at the cabin. Um, I love to do some fishing. I love the zen of it. I'm a terrible fisherman. (laughs) I don't have the patience to probably do it well and do it with, with the right level of knowledge, but I like just being out in the water. I love staring at a bobber. So that takes up some time. Uh, Doing dumb little projects, built a trail on our property, and it was really fun renting a skid steer to haul some crushed rock around. (laughs) I like trimming trees, getting the chainsaw out, doing labor outside, building something but then I enjoy being inside with the crackling fire and maybe fixing some crepes for breakfast. I don't, I'm not much of a cook, but my wife is the chef. And so she does, you know, whip up some pretty fantastic meals, even with a simple kitchen. So yeah, those are the things I like to do is start my day with, by making my own espresso shot of espresso in the morning and then uh, go, get outside and, do something outdoors. Feed the feed the deer, feed the birds.
1: All sounds perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dale. This has been wonderful to chat with you, get to know you better, and share you with our listeners.
2: Oh, well, it's great.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. If you'd like to learn more about Dale Mulfinger and all his different amazing books and philosophy. There's a couple of places that we'll share in all the show notes. So check those out. We'll link to his different books. We'll share on our social, but if you want to hear more right away, um, he has an amazing interview on another great podcast called ologies with Allie Ward. And she talks to different ologists of all kinds. So one of the episodes that we'll link to in the show notes too, is about cabinology. Of course, the name of Dale's book. And that was a great one. She's, really a wonderful interviewer and he does a great job and it's uh, just a lot of fun. So thanks for sharing this interview. Again, this was one that we really were excited to, to get to talk to and we'll definitely be following up more and keeping an eye on not only Dale's hopefully cross your fingers, future (laughs) books, but also his architecture firm and the amazing work that they do.
1: Don't forget to um, give us a rating and, give us some feedback. We love hearing from you and we love when you share our podcast with your friends and family and share it on your own socials to
2: spread the word. So, Or shoot us a photo. If you have cabinology, Take, Ooh. snap us a quick photo, tag us on IG or any of the places with, with
1: great where idea.
2: cabinology is sitting at your place. Cause it'd really be fun to see.
1: Yeah. That's a great idea. Okay. I'm going to do that at home
2: too. Yeah, we'll do that. I'll do that with my book as well. Okay, <laughs> Sounds great. All right. We'll see y'all next week.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Cabin Cast. You can find details and more information in the show notes on our website at www.thecabincast.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you won't miss a single episode. Follow us on your favorite social media channels. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Cabin Cast. We'd also love to hear from you. We want to hear your getaway and cabin stories. For a chance to have your story featured on an upcoming episode, email us at getaway@thecabincast.com. Until next week, enjoy the journey.